0: We hear about people throughout time becoming enlightened, self-realized, or awakened, but what does this really mean, and how do we achieve this for ourselves? In this episode, Dr. Nader takes questions on how people experience enlightenment, and how it's beneficial not only to the individual, but to society as a whole. Dr. Nader's second Facebook Live event, How Do I Get Enlightened?, answers the question that has remained shrouded in mystery for thousands of years.
1: How do I get enlightened? (laughs) What is enlightenment, by the way? We want to know how do I get where if we are talking about getting enlightenment. Enlightenment has been used in different ways. The main understanding of enlightenment would be through actually the root word in enlightenment, which is light. Light dispels, removes darkness. So if you can act and think with light around you, you are better off than acting and thinking and planning without any light, which means in darkness. So what would be that light and that darkness? Darkness is ignorance. Ignorance of the variables, the things that influence your potential ability to achieve what you want. In the simplest form, if you're sitting in the room, you want to move from one place to the other, and you have darkness, how can you move in a safe way, in a good way? You might have obstacles on the way. If it is dark, you don't see them. You might fall, have an accident, and never achieve that simple task of walking across the room. So you need light in order to achieve the simple task. When we act in our life, when we make decisions, when we uh, want to achieve great things or whatever desires we have and fulfill those desires, then we need knowledge of what it takes to achieve those goals what it takes to reach that particular aspect or part or goal in our life and the more we know the better we are equipped to reach our goal and be successful in our achievement be it in relationships friendships family life vocation deciding about what to do in the next year or where to go to college or how to fulfill our life and be happy or how to be spiritually fulfilled achieve the goal of what life is and what is the goal of life anyway where are we going all of these are questions that come to us and the more we know about what we can call the truth about things, the reality of things, the variables that influence our actions, the more we are enlightened, the more we are in light, and the less we are in darkness. The term enlightenment has been used in the Western world a lot, and uh, it has two aspects, in fact, and I will address these two aspects. Let's first divide them into two parts outer knowledge, outer enlightenment, and inner knowledge, or inner enlightenment. In the 17th century, 18th century, after long histories and many events in Europe and in general in the West, came an age which was called the Age of Enlightenment. And this age actually started with scientific understanding, and scientific discoveries. Descartes, Newton, and philosophers who started to understand that actually nature works based on laws. There are laws. Things are not happening in a haphazardous way. It's not like some kind of unusual interventions that come beyond our control. But there are laws of nature that conduct the affairs of life. And so they can understand these laws and therefore have more grasp of what is influencing what, and therefore make decisions based on informed abilities, informed knowledge. And so you got then all these philosophers who came. It started also in France and a little in England and Germany and different parts of the world with. Voltaire and Rousseau and Montesquieu and David Hume and Locke and Adam Smith, understanding economy, and then you know Kant and all these philosophers of that time that created a time where they don't didn't want to just behave on the basis of something they cannot understand because they saw contradictions and hypotheses and thoughts about life and how things happen in life. And this movement spread very wide, in fact, in the United States. Benjamin Franklin, Jefferson, Madison, they were being really connected with the Enlightenment movement of Europe, and the Constitution of the United States was a lot based on these ideas of using logic, using reason, understanding the laws of nature, so we can do things. And this has given us huge abilities to progress and to grow and to study nature and a lot of energy and input has been put and a lot of money has been spent on science because it was the way of logic and the way of reason and the way of making decisions that make sense. Now. After a while, this didn't make people necessarily very happy. Uh, There were many discoveries, a lot of improvement on the outside. But the ability to fulfill one's life, the ability to feel that one has achieved something that is uh, profound, wasn't really coming through, even though, and we continue to feel, science is such an amazing and a great system of understanding life and being enlightened in the relative objective world. This is what we would call the outer kind of enlightenment. Now, after that, many kind of movements came, romanticism and all of that, going back to nature, etc. But if we go back in history, if we go back in time, we find that the ancients had a different focus in terms of what enlightenment is even when we go to the Greeks and all the Middle Eastern different philosophies and more and more to the East, it was really summarized into understanding the self, know thyself as we all have heard during the time of Socrates and Plato and the great Greek philosophers, know thyself, there's something inward to know and It was assumed that, you know, people come to this life with certain abilities, and that's all they can do. And with that, they go out and try to understand and discover nature, and discover the laws of life, which we said the laws of nature, natural law, the laws of physics, chemistry, biology, trying to understand how the body works so we can heal it better, trying to understand how the universe works, how our environment works so we can control our environment, even maybe the weather, control our feelings, our emotions. If you go even back more in time, and it so happens more to the East, you come to a Vedic tradition, the ancient Vedic traditions of India, where the focus was more on knowing the self, but also with techniques and technologies and means to improve the individual self and to know what the self is. In these traditions, enlightenment meant truly to know yourself, ultimately know yourself. Because it was supposed that everything was based on awareness, everything was based on consciousness, and consciousness or awareness or the mind are not things that are just set and you have them or you don't have them, you have them in a certain quality or you don't have them, but are aspects of reality that can be developed. So your consciousness is something that can be having great depths, great widths, great lengths, great power, great volume, or it can be Narrow, small, and limited. And so they had techniques, which comes from this Vedic tradition, to actually develop consciousness. Consciousness is something that can be developed. It's not just either I am awake or not, or sleep or dream, or maybe sometimes drowsy or some altered states of consciousness. But in a positive direction, consciousness can be expanded the awareness can be increased. And so this fascination with increasing awareness led to this enlightenment, an idea of enlightenment, being something internal, inside. So you go back to yourself and get enlightened, meaning know yourself in a deeper and bigger way. This also led to some kind of excess if you would like, where people fascinated by this inner enlightenment became recluse and left life and went into caves and practiced these technologies to go back to the self, to go back to the inner being, and get enlightened from within. Basically, the idea was that when you look at an object, any object of experience, your awareness gets grabbed by that object. And we know that when we look at something, look at a flower, look at a table, look at your cat or your dog, your awareness is totally colored and taken over by this object that you're looking at, be it an object or an animal or a human being or an event or a thought. Your mind is always grasped and taken and held and becomes kind of trapped by the object of perception. And they felt that there is something more, there is myself. Where is myself? And they asked, where is myself? Well, it's never there. It's always either a flower, or a cat, or a tree, or an event, or a story, or a memory. And therefore, I am always lost to myself. The object of perception grab my awareness, and my awareness is lost, constantly lost. So how do I know myself? So they try to go back to the self, sometimes by concentration, sometimes through contemplation, thinking about things and trying to analyze how it works, or sometimes even training the mind to know how to have attention because the mind is jumping like a monkey from right to left everywhere all the time, searching for things, and never actually being able to rest and experience the inner, true self. The ancient Vedic scholars had the thought that, of course, this is not just for the pleasure or the joy during a few moments to develop oneself, but it had practical implications, and the main practical implication was actually to be happy, to be satisfied, and to be fulfilled. However this was creating like a dichotomy of reality the inner enlightenment is great it seems to lead to some inner happiness but it seemed to require going into the Himalayas or into some caves and renouncing about everything and you know developing intensely and intently and all these very hard even techniques sometimes and difficult ways that you have to renounce so many things in order to come back to the self and experience the self. On the other hand, we had the objective approach, the Western approach, where enlightenment meant use your logic, use your reason, use your scientific findings, try to understand the laws of nature. But there are so many laws of nature that in their application in so many fields, in so many ways, it's impossible to measure at every moment in your life, what is acting on my decision today, from yesterday, from my neighbor, from the circumstances in my town, in my city? What is happening? What is working together to make uh, this specific situation understandable to me? What are the variables involved? And science is not able to study many, many variables at the same time. The scientific method requires that you isolate things and then study them one by one, otherwise you wouldn't know what is influencing what and how things are happening. And therefore, this fragmented approach led to inability to really completely, fully grasp the reality of things. In the 1950s and 60s mainly, came from the ancient Vedic tradition, a great sage, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who comes directly from the Vedic tradition, from his teacher, uh, Brahmananda Saraswati, the Shankaracharya of Jyotirmat, and brought a knowledge that is very profound. First, he explained that enlightenment, even on the inner level, does not require a difficult path. It's not a difficult path. Enlightenment on the inner level is not only for recluse people who live life and go there. That enlightenment is for everyone, and that enlightenment, inner enlightenment is very easy. What he also explained, and it was very profound, that enlightenment actually is for action, is for greater productivity, is for greater understanding of the outer world. And basically what he said is, we have knowledge of the laws of nature, and we can try to understand nature more on the outer objective level, but if the knower herself or himself has not expanded their awareness then their ability to know remains very limited and since we have technologies and ways to expand the container of knowledge then we can through this inner enlightenment make the individual more capable of living outer enlightenment being able to live in a way that is productive, that allows them to achieve their goals on the outside and not be at all on the level of just recluse and inner life and hiding from things. But actually, plunging into activity even helps to stabilize within us this inner enlightenment. Otherwise, inner enlightenment remains aloof and distant from productivity. And he said that this is one of the problems that has been encountered even in India at that time and in Eastern traditions in some ways, in some sense, is that they detach themselves from productivity, from being effective, from the outer world. And that is not at all necessary. So. Marshi brought to us the knowledge of enlightenment, which is know thyself, establish yourself in pure being, in the field of infinite awareness, expand your awareness, be stable in that, and on that platform you can plunge into activity with a wide, broad, great comprehension and greater ability to know. Now how do you expand your awareness? There is a simple technique which is called transcendental meditation. A technique that allows the individual to plunge into oneself. You practice it simply sitting in a chair. It's a very simple technique. You close the eyes and then there is a technique that allows the mind which is desiring always to go for more and more. But instead of during this time of meditation going towards the outside, it is allowed to go towards the self which is more than the most. And the Vedic tradition had that understanding that the entire universe is made out of a field of consciousness which is called pure being, pure consciousness, pure awareness, and it is that field which manifests into all the different aspects of creation and all the surface aspects of reality. It is very interesting that even the outer approach, the modern scientific approach, dwelling into the essence of things and the reality of things, found that everything is made out of molecules or atoms, the atoms are made out of more elementary particles, The elementary particles, are quanta of energy or vibrations or reverberations in fields and that there are different fields, but these fields gradually come together to become one field. Ultimately, the unified field of all the laws of nature is where modern science and physics is pointing to the initial reality, the singularity from which multiplicity comes. And that is exactly the same as the Vedic tradition. So it was a joy for Marshi to say that the ultimate objective approach, which is the study of nature and reducing things, the reductionist approach to reduce things into their elementary particles, their elementary energy, their elementary fields and ultimately the unified field, has come to the same conclusion as the ultimate subjective approach, which is the inward stroke going towards the self and finding that everything comes from my inner being, from my inner self. And so here is West and East joined together and shake hands in enlightenment. Now how do I get it? What to do for it? It's very, very simple. Through the practice of transcendental meditation, the mind settles down. Now, what is preventing me from being enlightened today? What is making my consciousness narrow? What is not allowing me to live life in fullness and happiness? We call it stress. Stress here is used as a general term. It sits on your nervous system, it sits on your physiology, and it becomes like a filter and the dirt, or whatever it is, that prevents the sunshine of enlightenment, that prevents the light of pure being, the light of pure consciousness, from shining in its total reality. It's like you have a glass of water, and you add into it different colors and different dirt, and you mix them like this, and then the light that shines through this glass will be not so clear, will not be so bright. It will be a reflection based on the stresses, we call them, which are these different uh, dust particles or dirt particles that are in the glass. Now, these are what are preventing our nervous system from living its full potential. And when the mind settles down, because it is the nature of the mind to go towards greater happiness and because the inner self is more than anything, it's more than the most, it's the unified field of natural law. During transcendental meditation, the mind dives towards that reality, and by experiencing deeper and deeper level of our self, we are getting more and more enlightened. We are establishing ourselves in what we call self-realization. We are realizing our more and more. And we reach another level of what enlightenment is, and the definition of enlightenment, we reach freedom. In the ancient Vedic tradition, it's called moksha, liberation. Liberation from what? We used to be bound by the object of perception. We used to be a slave of the things we see. We lose our whole inner infinite pure being for little objects of observation, for little worries, for little things we want. We lose all of that for small things. Liberation means to be free from the objects of perception, from the outer values, and experience the unbounded inner freedom of the self. That is self-realization, that is enlightenment. But this enlightenment does not make us lethargic, does not make us unable to act. And scientific research has shown that those who practice transcendental meditation have better behavior, greater achievement, better grades at school for the children, and improvement in all areas of life, including improvement in the human physiology. Because the progress towards enlightenment requires the removal of this dust and dirt that we talked about, that we have called stress. And since the body by its nature rejects foreign material, like if you prick your finger with some, th- some thorn, the body creates a reaction and it removes it, because it's foreign to you. But you have to give it a chance to do it. If you're tired and stressed and the body is exhausted, the healing will be slower and will not happen as well. So the means to remove stress and strain is through deep rest. Transcendental meditation, because the mind and the body are intimately related, when the mind settles down, the body settles down, and that is depressed, removes the stresses and clears the system. So there is a cleaning, clearing, adjusting of the nervous system, of the physiology on the path of enlightenment that happens spontaneously. So, removal of stress is actually a byproduct of enlightenment. As we get more and more enlightened, mind settles down, body settles down, and the removal of stress is a byproduct. It's not trying to remove the stress by force, but it is a byproduct of the reality of transcending. So, transcendental meditation gives us that ability to get enlightened inside and to live life in its fullness on the outside through transcending, which means to transcend is to go beyond, to go beyond the surface level. The mind is like an ocean, surface level is agitated. As you go deeper and deeper, it settles down. And when you reach the depths of the ocean, it's completely quiet and silent. And our inner deep self is infinite, pure silence and pure bliss in fulfillment. This is enlightenment, it is very easy and it's very simple, and it does not contradict, to the contrary, it is in tune with a very active, progressive, dynamic, creative life on the outside. So inner and outer enlightenment is something we can truly achieve. And I have some questions here that come to me. This is one from India, from Vaishnavi. What does a person look like that is enlightened? He might look like any other person, but but inside is full of peace and happiness and is fulfilling his or her dreams and visions and acts in accordance with natural law, which means fulfills his desires or her desires, at the same time is not in friction or contradiction with the desires of everyone in society. Very good. Since it comes from India, it says in the Bhagavad Gita that it is not possible to know from the outside really what level of enlightenment one is and there are levels and grades of enlightenment. When you learn the Transcendental Meditation program, you learn that there is Transcendental Consciousness, Cosmic Consciousness, God Consciousness and Unity Consciousness and these are different levels of depths of enlightenment which in another discussion we can go through. So the outer behavior can be the same, but naturally the person will be more peaceful, more happy, more full, they will be more wise uh, but they can be anything. They can be a taxi driver, they can be a doctor, they can be a philosopher, they can be a painter, it doesn't matter the outer activity. The outer activity can remain simple and specific or can be very complex but it's the inner ability to achieve maximum in one's life and maximum in one's Consciousness, which is to live fullness and happiness within and be a blessing to one's surrounding, that is important. What is the role of heart energy in enlightenment? This is from Vivian. Heart means the feeling level. In the Vedic tradition, there are different paths to enlightenment also, and this gives me the opportunity to mention them. You can have, in general, its enlightenment is the ability to, to be unified, to know the unity of life, the fact that things are not dislocated, but there is a greater unity between outer and inner and between everything. So there is law, there is order. And this unity, actually, is the term "unity" is yoga. So there are different types of yoga. Transcendental meditation is one aspect of supreme yoga. You can come to yoga through physical exercises, uh, you know, like we do asanas and pranayama and all of that. But you can come to unity, to yoga, through direct mental experience, such as in transcendental meditation. So you have, for example, the karma yoga, which means ability to achieve yoga through action. You do good actions, you help your neighbor, etc. This is very beautiful. You can do through Gyan yoga, through knowledge, gaining knowledge by acquiring knowledge of the self, intellectually on different levels. You can have bhakti yoga, which is devotional yoga, And that is the role of the heart, uh, the ability to do things that are good for yourself, for others, for your society, for God. That devotion also develops a greater level of unity. And that is the Raja Yoga, the Supreme Yoga, which is the yoga as if for the kings, for the rulers, which is do less and accomplish more, and which takes you directly to the transcendence, directly to samadhi, and that is transcendental meditation. So transcendental meditation is the simplest shortcut to getting directly to the self and expanding awareness, expanding the self through direct transcending. The other ways are beautiful and one can continue to use them. They are longer and slower, but they can also achieve the goal. The fastest, most direct way is to directly expand the awareness by transcending. How long does it take to achieve enlightenment? This is, this is a question from an enlightened name, Emmanuel is an enlightened name. <laughs> uh, it really depends on the individual, Emmanuel. Uh, And that is, if you start with a very stressed nervous system, it might take a little longer. If you are living a life that is healthy and you're born with less stress and less tensions and problems and difficulties and your physiology is in good state, uh, it is likely if you're also having a greater start (coughs) with greater awareness, then you can get there much quicker, much easily. But from the very first minute you get initiated to transcendental meditation, you dive into yourself and you're already a little more enlightened than before. Because as soon as you go deeper in the self, this influences yourself. This awakens yourself, this removes that which is not yourself. It's not an influence from outside, it's actually removing that which is not you. That is what happens in transcendental meditation. Some people sometimes think, oh, we are transforming the person, changing them into something else. What we are doing is removing the things that have changed the person into something they are not, and this is the stress. And when the stress is removed, you go back to your real self. Know thyself, and that is how it happens. From the US, Christian is asking, would someone who achieves enlightenment still desire anything? It's a very beautiful question. Yes, they will. They will definitely desire. They'll desire more happiness for their friends and neighbors, more enlightenment for society, They will desire to do works and things that help the others to get enlightened. And it expands one's being from a small self to include in their awareness their society. First, their loved ones, the ones that are around them, and ultimately their enemies even. They'll want to change them into something good. They'll want to create something great. And they'll want the whole universe and whole society to be in peace. And that will be their desires. Of course, they will have their regular desires. The body needs to eat, needs to live. And so they will feel that's time to drink, it's time to sleep, it's time to eat. And therefore, that's why from the outer, we cannot necessarily know whether the person is enlightened or not because they'll be living life in a normal, natural way. They'll be dynamic, they'll be achieving. And if their goal is to be in activity, they'll go into activity. If they are more of a recluse style, you know, they might go into recluse, but not necessarily at all. The majority of people who are practicing transcendental meditation are creative, dynamic people, they are athletes, and they they grow in that, even if they get enlightened. It's, you know, like bliss becoming blissful. Bliss, when it is achieved within the self, Marshi used to use an analogy which is very simple. He said if you sit in a hot bath, in a hot tub, and there is warmth around you, the warmth is there. If you move, then you feel it more. You feel the waves of warmth. And so activity actually allows the bliss to become blissful. You then feel the bubbles of bliss, and therefore there will always be this desire to act, but these desires will be in accordance with natural law, in accordance with the evolutionary powers of natural law. Do any teaching from Jesus suggest or align with the practice? This is from Amy. I personally feel that all the teaching of Jesus align with the practice. Basically, Jesus' main teaching is You seek the kingdom of heaven, which is within you, and all else will be added unto you. I might not have the exact words in English properly, but this is the meaning. And therefore, seek the kingdom of heaven, and all else will be added unto you. And then someday they talked to Jesus and asked him, or there was a discussion about the kingdom of heaven, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is within you. It's within you. And therefore, to go within is the ultimate teaching. And to seek that inner peace and inner happiness and then be able to give that for others is most profound. And people who practice transcendental meditation, sometimes the question comes, I am not interested in myself. Uh, Enlightenment is a personal thing. I want to help my society, I want to help others, I want to give to others. And the thing is, you can only give what you have. If you have pain, if you have fear, if you have suffering, you end up giving pain and fear and suffering. There is no point if somebody is suffering to sit next to them and start suffering with them. Because you had one person suffering, now you have two people suffering. So you didn't improve very much the situation. If somebody is suffering, you better gain in strength and happiness and bring them strength, give them happiness, give them hope, raise them above their suffering. And that is by improving oneself and being strong oneself, then we can give to others, then we can improve others, then we can raise others to inner peace and inner happiness and greater achievement. Jamie says, do you know if you are enlightened? When you are enlightened, you know there are symptoms of inner strength, inner stability. You never lose the self. See, when you practice transcendental meditation, the mind settles down, settles down, and at one moment it loses everything. There is no thoughts, no images, no feelings, nothing. You just experience pure consciousness. It's not you're sleeping because you are there, but there is nothing else there except yourself. If you don't experience it, it's really difficult to imagine. What could it mean? It is consciousness, pure consciousness, sitting by itself, on itself, in itself, with itself, and nothing else is there. And that experience is your real inner self. So you transcend. When you transcend, you experience that unbounded ocean of being, unbounded ocean of pure existence, the self, the inner self. When you go out into activity, this inner self is more with you than it was before, because you just transcended, you just dip yourself into that reality, you know what it is, and now you go out and you have it a little more. You don't try when you are in activity to be aware of yourself, it's like mood making, we don't do that. When you go out into activity, you act, you think of action, but you have that inner silence more and more stable within you. With time, What happens is, with the familiarity in this, this inner self, this inner unbounded ocean of pure being remains with you all the time. So no matter what you're doing, you seem to be going and rushing and running and doing things and planning things and acting and correcting and adjusting and all of that, but your inner self, your unbounded peace, your inner peace is never lost. That's the first level of enlightenment. In the transcendental meditation movement we call it cosmic consciousness. Maharshi has given it this name. So you give a cosmic aspect of life where the inner is never lost to the outer. And so you know this, you really know this when you are there. Could we have, this is uh, Carolina, she's asking, could we have glimpses of enlightenment instead of becoming enlightened suddenly and forever? Absolutely, absolutely, and that's what we said, that even from the very first instruction in meditation, people feel something different. They feel a depth that is new. They feel a diving into the self that they have not known before. And that is already a glimpse. It doesn't take days and hours. I mean, it could for some people take a few days, some others a few weeks to feel deeply, but mostly even from the very first transcending, you feel different. And then as this stabilizes, you start feeling more evenness in life, more and more evenness. So this evenness might not be complete, might not be 100% there, might not be all the time there, but you do get definitely glimpses of that reality as you go along. And that is the beauty of it because the path is very enjoyable. It's not that something that you have to do that is training, it's not a concentration, it's not a contemplation, it's not manipulation of the mind or forcing it to go anywhere. It's a simple, innocent, natural procedure that takes you to these levels and they are fulfilling. So the practice itself is fulfilling. And it's not that you say, oh, I have to do it and it's okay, I'm so intent on enlightenment, I should do it. You forget about enlightenment, you just want to do it. It's so good, it's so simple, it's so pleasing that the technique itself is enjoyable, and it is enjoyable because it gives you these glimpses of enlightenment, even short ones, longer ones, and more and more stabilized through activity. I guess we have have completed the time. Thank you all for listening, look forward to your questions, and other meetings and discussions.
0: Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.